Welcome to Made It Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Hafling. Made It Happen is a podcast series highlighting female founders who took a chance and launched their own business. Through interviews with female entrepreneurs, Made It Happen is dedicated to inspiring others through stories of those who have experienced going out on their own firsthand, discussing all the highs and the lows. It can be easy to see the glamorous side of starting your own business through the internet and social media, but what does it really take behind the scenes to launch and run your own successful business? Hear how these inspiring female founders made it happen. So I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for joining me here, Diana, and I'm so excited to hear about your business and your journey as an entrepreneur. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I'm excited to be here also. And um, yeah, to tell you my exciting story. Amazing. Well, and how about we start off with having you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company. So my name is Diana Nguyen. I'm the founder and CEO of Lux Second Chance. Uh, Lux Second Chance is a resale platform that showcases items from multiple luxury consignment stores all on one centralized site. So imagine like an Amazon for luxury goods, but authenticated. We actually work with four countries now. So we're in Canada, the US, France, and the UK. Wow. And so I'm very curious to hear about, you know, what inspired you to start this company and where did that first idea really come from? Actually, to tell you the truth, it was supposed to be a hobby because I lived overseas for seven years working in banking. So I worked for uh, Citibank overseas. And so I came back to Canada. So imagine like a female working overseas for seven years and how much stuff one can accumulate. So when I came back here, I just realized that, oh my gosh, like all this time I had all this like luxury stuff or just like stuff in general, right? And I wanted to consign because I've been consigning for quite some time now. And um, coming back here, I realized that Canada are like, we're quite different in consignment compared to the rest of the world. So I'm used to consigning in Europe and in Asia, but I came back here and I realized that we didn't have the same consignment stores in caliber like we did, like they did overseas. So I just started the company. So I researched a lot of like how the U.S. did it because I figured we're very close to the U.S. So we probably have the same like consignment mentality. So I researched a few US companies on how they did, because to be honest, I was going to use US companies to consign my own goods because I couldn't find any Canadian store like myself at that time to consign my own stuff because I really wanted to make it like an online base where people didn't have to go into a consignment store to consign or to buy. So that's how I created the the brand because I wanted something that was easy for someone that was busy like myself that I wouldn't have to physically do all that stuff like so I wanted things really to be online based. Mm-hmm. Absolutely I, that, that definitely makes sense and I'd love to hear you know you said it started out as a hobby and then do you want to tell us a little bit about from when it grew from you know being a hobby to being sort of your full-time business? So when I say it was a hobby, it was when I started it, I was just like, okay, how am I going to do this? Because I don't have an entrepreneurial background. I come completely from banking. And uh, I was just like, I have like 23 of these handbags that I want to consign. And I, the, when I say hobby, it was like, I'm just going to put up this website and hopefully people want to 
buy stuff for me. That's what I thought when I first started. But then I was like talking to my friends and family and they're like, oh my God, that's a great idea. We actually don't have something like this in Canada because I've been away for so long that I was just like, oh, so I actually gathered like a bunch of like my friend's stuff and family stuff. And I started with just like friends and family's items to list the items that we had kind of thing. And how I grew it really was that, okay, I need to become a real business. How do I become a real business? I can't just have a hundred items. So when I came, became a real business was just like, well, to actually have all these items on one website and a lot of them, I actually had to get from stores. And that's how I got the inventory so quickly was I was, hey, other stores, for example, from Vancouver or Calgary or Montreal, they don't have access to Toronto and vice versa, right? So why don't I get these brick and mortar stores from Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal on my platform and I'll market to Toronto and vice versa. And I'll have the Toronto stores market to Vancouver all on one site. And that's how I was like, that's how I got my inventory and became a real business versus like growing the consignment story. Like you can imagine a brick and mortar because I didn't have a brick and mortar that people would come in and consign items. But this way where I can actually have hundreds of inventory very quickly. And I realized that that's when I realized where it's just like, well, why can't I be international? And that's when the, the idea of like going to the US and to France and the UK came later on. So every year after that, from 2016, 2017, 18, 19, I added a new country. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And I think that it's, you know, the strategy that you took to it, I think was very well thought out and I definitely led to sort of that big growth, like you said, which is really great to hear. And you also mentioned there too, that this was your first sort of time being an entrepreneur, sort of starting a business and learning as you go. Um, and before being in the banking industry, it's sort of a big transition there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this and, you know, what shocked you the most when you were sort of making that pivot? Uh, the truth is, I was tired of the corporate worlds and that's why I moved back from like living in Asia. So I actually lived in a few Asian countries and Australia working in banking. And at that, it was actually out after the global financial crisis where I was just like, you know, I'm tired of this. And, you know, I just wanted like a slower paced life. I think because how, especially in Asia where it's like really fast paced. And I think I, it's like, I wanted to like um, take things slower. So coming back here, I, didn't really like what thought I would transition to be an entrepreneur in this manner. I just thought that coming back here, I would, you know, continue banking, et cetera, kind of thing. But then I was just like, you know, slow my life down. I thought being an entrepreneur, I can be like my own boss and do whatever I want. But that was completely not what happened kind of thing. So I was still getting up at well, I was, I usually get up at six o'clock in the morning. So I was getting up even earlier at four o'clock because things were just coming to my head. And it was like really excited about like launching this and, you know, it's just the whole excitement kind of thing. But really when I first started, I thought like, you know, I'm just going to live like this, like slower life kind of thing. But being an entrepreneur was not that at all. So to be honest, I didn't really transition from being a corporate, like, you know, high speed, everything, and then transitioning to an entrepreneur being really relaxed, like I thought it was really still very high speed. 
because at first we didn't have the technology, like I didn't build the technology like I have today kind of thing. So it was very, a lot of manual work still and a lot of like work on strategizing how to do things. So it was like, my brain was constantly like working kind of thing. And I think it was working in my sleep. So that's why I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a very busy being an entrepreneur and sort of, especially because you're wearing all those hats, right? So there's always so much to do. But like you said, it was something you were excited about and something about that you're passionate about. So I think that's what really, you know, makes entrepreneurship worth it. And I'd love to hear a bit about sort of the industry that you're in with, you know, some of the background on fast fashion and how your company and other ones in that industry are sort of working towards sustainability. Yeah. So like I said earlier, like I've been shopping consignment for like 15 years now. So buying something that lasts a long time isn't new to me or what's trendy now kind of thing. Um, Besides my love for quality and luxury brands, it's truly about sustainability. So I know we hear that word about sustainability a lot, but really like buying resale is completely about sustainability because you're not manufacturing anything new. You're just like, repurposing it in a sense where, or like, you know, just reusing something. So someone else doesn't want something as you're recycling kind of thing. So it doesn't go to the landfill basically. Right. So I really believe in the past couple of years, people have come to recognize that fast fashion has been doing to our environment and we, we cannot continue to like basically go in the same trajectory that we have been. So, I mean, the wastage and the landfills and really the true cost of fast fashion is not just to our own pockets, right? But it's to our environment. Like imagine, like think about like that fashion. You think it's like the upfront cost is very little. Like you're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go to, I'm just giving you an example, like an H&M kind of thing. And you're like, oh, this shirt is like, very like inexpensive but really if you're only wearing it a few times before it breaks down then really it's it's very expensive for you versus if you're buying a high quality piece like a Deutsche Gabbana I mean like the cost is very little because I have things where it's 10 years old and it still looks brand new and I know that if I can't fit into it anymore that I can still sell it like in the resale market, because it's still resellable versus if you bought something for fast fashion you can't because well, who's going to buy that? And it doesn't have the, the same, like, it's not, it's probably trendy versus luxury will always have a classic look. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I think that definitely makes sense. And I love sort of, you know, hearing the background of it, because I think it's something a lot of people, you know, might not think about, like you said, when you go and buy something from H&M and you're like, oh, I, it's not that much. So this, this works out. But I think, you know, finding those quality pieces that you can really keep over time. And then, like you said, like you can go and resell it because it still is in a great condition, I think is really important for people to keep in mind. And do you have any sort of advice for people to sort of shop that secondhand wisely? Um, you know, you said you definitely have processes in place for your company. So maybe just any advice or tips there. Yeah. So for a first like secondhand shopper, I think that you should really know what you want. Like, because a lot of people that don't know what they want, they go into a site and they have like different expectations. For example, if you're used to going into like, say, for example, like a Chanel store, right? And then you're going into a resale, then you know what kind of Chanel that you want, 
like then you're 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 more like likely to be happy with it versus that if you don't know what you want then you you in your head you might have some other expectation kind of thing right and really to shop wisely you stick with the classics right so you stick with the classics then for a first timer because you know that okay you know exactly what it looks like how it's supposed to feel and how it's, you know the, the longevity of it kind of thing right but versus if you're buying something more trendy you might get it and you're like I didn't expect this at all kind of thing right first um so i think that if you're a first time uh secondhand buyer then you buy something that you're very familiar with and it's a classic and then you won't be disappointed mm-hmm, absolutely i think that's such a great piece of advice for anyone you know going forward and something that they can really keep in mind um if they are going to buy something secondhand and i'd love to hear too you know you said over the past couple of years your business has definitely grown a lot and it's expanded internationally as well do you want to tell us a little bit about this growth and sort of not only what led to it but also sort of those different aspects of it between going international and just expanding at that rate originally when i first started the company i thought okay well i'll just build it for canadians because i wanted something for canada that everyone else has because there's like versions of this similar in the us so i thought that well why why should canadians like go to the us and buy something versus like why can't we have a canadian store that has the same thing that has the amount of inventory so we are the largest in terms of inventory size for Canada uh, only because we have like stores in our store kind of thing right so I was like why can't we have like something like that in Canada for Canadians so Canadians don't have to shop overseas or shop in the U.S. kind of thing because I did a lot of like asking questions on like, well, where do you buy your stuff that's secondhand? And a lot of the, a lot of my friends and then customers later on were just like, well, we buy a lot of stuff in the US. So I was like, okay, so that's when I started like onboarding uh, US stores. And then I was just like, well, there's other countries. And what I know about uh, luxury is that different countries have their own collections. So if you were to buy something in France, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have it here in Canada. And that's the beauty of it. So I was like, well, there's a lot of things that there's in France that we don't have here. So why don't I onboard stores in France and bring them into this platform where the Canadians, I almost so focus on Canada, where it's like the Canadians can shop these items from France kind of thing, right? And then that's where it's like, okay, well, you have France and then you have the UK. Uh, I think for me, it was like those countries because I know like I'm very familiar with them. I just chose them based on familiarity, right? I could have chosen Italy or whatever, whatnot, but um, that's why I chose them. And so that's where it really grew, where it's just like, how do I get like other collections from other countries onto this platform? And how we grew was just like, so it wasn't just for Canadians. So actually 50% of our sales go to the US now. 50% is because a lot of our stores are still Canadian and with the Canadian dollar versus the US dollar, they're getting a discount. So it's just like naturally our customers are half Americans now. listening to this, then you most likely enjoy podcasts and maybe you even have a business of your own. But have you ever thought of starting your own podcast? 
Through Running Made It Happen, I truly found a passion for podcasting, and I want to share what I've learned and help other entrepreneurs and businesses have their voice heard and elevate their brand through podcasts. Introducing Elevate Podcast Co. Elevate Podcast Co. supports launching and growing podcasts to connect businesses to their audience, build authority, and amplify their business. Through podcast coaching, management, and launching, we will help you reach your podcast goals with a quality product at an affordable price. If you're interested in starting a podcast or just want to chat, feel free to reach out at elevatepodcastco.com or email us at elevatepodcastco at gmail.com. You mentioned too before, you know, when you started out, you were surprised at sort of the pace of entrepreneurship. Um, Is there something that people might be, you know, surprised about sort of the behind the scenes of running your company? Well, you know how people like when they, uh, they, sometimes you hear people say like, oh, my business is a baby, but I really believe you shouldn't treat your business as a baby because babies grow, first of all, but really you should treat your business like an asset. So like what I mean by an asset is it doesn't depend on anyone. So for example, like my business, if I wasn't around, it would still run, like it would function perfectly fine. Means that there's things that you put in so then people can take over. Even the CEO place, like you would have like your managers or someone in line to really run your corporation. And I think that having a business like that, not dependent on anyone, it's better off for you and it's better off for your business in the long run. And so therefore you have to learn at an early um, stage where it's just like, you need to let go. And you, like when you first start a business, like even for myself, where I did a lot of the things myself, right? Cause I, I tried to do everything, like take a hold of everything. I even tried to like learn how to code and code my own site that never happens. Right. But really, you just really just have to let it go and realize what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and really have things in place. Whereas just like when you want to let go of your company and let it run on its own, it's able to do that. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think, you know, finding those processes and finding what you can outsource, I think is so important. Cause like you said, no one can do everything in the company. So finding, finding that out and sort of what that balance is, is so important as entrepreneurs. And I'd love to hear too about how the pandemic has really affected your company. You know, you, you were talking about sort of the international piece of it too. So, you know, overall, how has this last year affected it? Well, last year was a, a really learning point because I mean, like since I started the company in 2015 to now, um, obviously there was no pandemic. So in um, March of 2020, I really didn't know what was going to happen to the business, to be honest, uh, where I was just like, and cash flow for me is the most important thing. And the reason I do this, not because of the pandemic is because our business is very seasonal. So for example, People shop more during the holiday season. So in January, February, people are not shopping because they probably spent too much money over the holidays. And so it picks up again around like spring and summer, right? So when the pandemic hit, we're just like, oh my God, like, what is this? Is my company still going to survive? Because this is going, this could be like a long run kind of thing. Because I mean, I'm sure like for you, I don't know if you knew, but it's just like, What's going to happen? Like, we didn't know what was going to happen. So I actually had to make like really hard decisions on like what to do with my, uh, my employees. So I actually had a real honest conversation with them. It's like, this is what's happening. I don't know what the future is going to be, but I like to keep everyone. 
But the only way we're going to keep everyone until we know what's going to what's going to happen is that we all need to compromise means that, you know, I have these tasks that need to be done, but can we like compromise in terms of what I'm going to pay you until we figure out what, what this pandemic really means. And I'm so fortunate that I have such good like employees where they're like, oh no, I totally understand. Like you have to do what you have to do. And I'm still on board and I still want to work with you kind of thing. So they were willing to like take a paycheck hit, like kind of thing where I was just like, I have to only pay you X amount of dollars until I can figure things out. And they were willing to do that kind of thing. So I'm very fortunate. Like I was really surprised myself. Right. And like by the end of April, I was like so amazed that it's like nothing ever happens. And if anything, then May, June, July, our sales were like up 50%. So it's like the pandemic has like made, well, then if you think about it in retrospect is because everyone was, you know, our lockdowns, people were, they were at home, not doing anything. They, and they wanted, if they had money, they wanted to spend money shopping, like retail therapy, right? And who doesn't want a Chanel? So if anything, the pandemic has like made the business in boom itself. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it was a challenge. Like you said, it was so unknown in the beginning. So you didn't know, but I'm so happy to hear that, you know, that's the way that it did turn out. And and like you said, so many people are at home right now and they, they want to be shopping online. That's where everyone's going to. So it's great to hear that, you know, that's how it has turned out. And, you know, I mean, it's definitely still a challenge for many. And can you tell us maybe about, um, you know, the biggest obstacle that you've really overcome with your business and, you know, how did you do this? So the first, uh, I guess, two years is very difficult because uh, we didn't have like brand recognition. A lot of like the bigger brands, the U.S. brands, they were marketing into the into Canada kind of thing. So imagine like trying to keep compete with them with their Google ads, with their Facebook ads. Like sometimes I like I still remember back then I was just like, how am I going to do this? I still remember it's like, my gosh, I'm competing against all these guys with all these ad dollars. And we didn't have any brand recognition. So how are people really going to trust us? Because you think about it, you're not buying a $5 t-shirt. You're buying a $2,000 bag, right? Mm -hmm. So for people to believe in us, it's just like it took a lot. So it was really um, like slowly PR kind of thing, but not completely PR. Like we didn't we didn't like um, talk about the company a lot kind of thing, but it was really more about social media. So people, we were actually doing more social and then there's like social proof. And, you know, it took some time, but really it's like a matter of time. But what really got us over the hump was just like, I realized that I'm just going to really going to have to take this hit and just like put a lot of money in there and just see how it goes. Because I'm a person that's very conservative also in terms of like, I wanna make sure cash flow is good and to be able to like sustain this company, right? But at one point of my company where I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna like go at it. So I took out like lines of credit and just went off and like started doing marketing. So I just market the company. And I was at first, I was just really wanting to build this engine, I guess you would say, like imagine building this beautiful Ferrari to make sure that the engine runs beautiful before you show it off kind of thing. But it's not that it's just really, I really needed to market the company, even before it was like, perfect, like, it's not still not perfect, right. But even before it is like it is today kind of thing. So I just really had to go out there and spend marketing dollars to get your brand out there for people to like, recognize it, see it, and then to believe in it 
kind of thing. Because I think that if you see it often enough and you see it now, it's more a lot more in the media kind of thing. And people are like, okay, I can trust this company, right? And really talk about your company and really write about your company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, thank you for sharing. Because I think that is really important for people to know is, is building that brand awareness in the beginning. And like you said, it doesn't just come, you know, there's different strategies you have to try and see. And sometimes you do have to put money behind it to try and really expand that and create that, that trust with the customer and that brand awareness. Um, and like you said, that's what really got you over the hump. And was there sort of, you know, one really big success moment from your journey with building your business that stands out to you? Oh, besides, okay, well, one is like one customer, she was really surprised me. And I was like, okay, people actually believe in me. So this one store I love where she bought a bag 300. So I when I first started, a lot of people were buying like $300 items, $500. It's still a lot of money, right? Uh, but the second bag that she bought, so she bought a Mewi Mewi bag, the first time $300. And then a couple weeks later, she bought a Hermes bag for $13,900. So that just proves that people believe in you now, meaning that what they do is they try to get that proof first to see like they make these small orders first to see it's like, is this company real? And then when you like prove to them that it's real, then they start like buying it. And then that's when I started seeing where people would buy little things and the next purchase, I guess they would really want to buy what they really want to buy kind of thing. So they make small purchases first and then buy like that big bag kind of thing. So it made me like so happy that it's just like, wow, almost $14,000 in one like transaction, which is amazing. So it's like people really believed in this brand. Definitely. I mean, that that's an incredible story because I think it also, you know, brings back to, like you said, they just want to be able to trust that company and sort of building that trust and having that successful experience and then people wanting to come back and sort of just getting that, you know, brand awareness, but also that brand loyalty that they do keep coming back. So I think it's always great to sort of hear about, you know, those milestones and that really just shows how the business is being perceived. And if there was one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's maybe looking to start a business or just starting out, what would that be? You must start. Everyone wants to wait until they have that perfect idea or, you know, this perfect whatever their uh, like item kind of thing. But really, things change constantly, right? And uh, you cannot expect, like, especially the X factor. I, I believe that um, if you have a purpose and you put that purpose into action, like, you will succeed. Absolutely. I, I love that. And I, I definitely agree. And like you said, think, especially right now, things are changing so quickly. So there's never going to be that perfect time. And so just taking that first step. And if it's not, even if it's not perfect in the beginning, you know, you sort of learn as you go. So I think that, you know, that's great advice for anyone thinking of starting a business. And I know that you said, you know, the last year, your business has definitely been growing and changing a lot. Do you have any future plans coming up for your business you'd like to share? Well, we're planning on expanding into other countries, say Italy, but I think we're going to put a pause on that at the moment kind of thing. So what we're planning to do now is like continue with our inventory growth, because we what we find is that people go on our site more and more as we have inventory, because with like, for example, Google searches kind of thing, they're with luxury, they're very specific on what they're searching for, right? So I think the more inventory you have, the more likely people will come back to your site, kind of thing. So 
So this year, really, we're focusing on like um, inventory growth. So we're we're not going to go into a, another country because my plan was to go into a different country every year. Um, but because of travel restrictions, et cetera. So this year, we're just going to continue to expand in terms of inventory growth. Amazing. Well, I'm so excited to see that growth as well with, with the business. And where can people go to shop from your site, find you online, um, and stay up to date on all those? Well, you can find us at www luxsecondchance.com and all our social media handles are Lux Second Chance. So that's where you can find us. Thanks for listening to Made It Happen Podcast, the podcast highlighting female entrepreneurs. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and I'll see you next week.